This is Welcome Home Radio from the Fresno Association of Realtors on 940 KYNO. Well, good morning and welcome to Welcome Home Radio. This is Don Scordino, your host on our Valley's most informative real estate talk show. This, this show is sponsored by the Fresno Association of Realtors, and the goal that we have is to provide our listeners with some really good information so you know what's happening in the real estate market. You know whether to buy or sell, keep, refinance. Um, it, it, and, of course, we're always going to come back to it. It really depends a lot on your own personal goals. Uh, not, you can't just time the market and know that there's uh, nobody ringing a bell at the top of the market or, or at the bottom of the market. But the closest thing we have to a bell ringer is here with us today in the, um, in the studio. And I'm going to say he understands the market really well, very involved locally and, and at the state and national levels. So, uh, Right here from Fresno, California, we have Patrick Prince from Keller Williams, realtor with them. Uh, how are you, Patrick? I'm doing good, Don. Thank you very much for having me today. Sure, yeah. Um, they paid me extra to have you on the show today. <laughs> I bet they did. <laughs> they had to. Uh, no, uh, I've actually known Patrick for over 20 years because he used to be the MLS operations director for the Fresno Multiple Listing Service. And sometime, this is not from a written bio. This is all off my memory. Sometime, I'm going to say probably 2007 or 2008, when the market was definitely shifting. And as some people would say, the bubble popped and all. He decides to quit his paying job to go into real estate. And I thought, I knew it all along. This guy is crazy. (laughs) Yeah, it was probably a little bit um, worse than that. I actually did it in 2006, thinking that uh, it was going to last forever ah. and uh, got just ahead of the bubble. Okay, so you experienced some easy sales? No, no. I was getting my license exactly at the end of 2006, oh. uh, right before, I mean, it was literally crashing as it happened. I just didn't recognize it yet. And so. Yeah, I'm not so sure that. A lot of people did recognize it right off. No. And that's one of the things that I want to talk to you about today so that our listeners can get a good feel for it, too. Because, you know, we still hear people saying, oh, this we're in a bubble. This is going to crash. Uh, and I know that you have some numbers there, some uh, but not just numbers, but you've got ideas and thoughts behind those numbers that might help us understand uh, are we in a situation where it's similar to 2006, seven, or is it different? So what do you, what do you got there? Well, I think there's a lot of things, Don, that honestly, if you look at 2006 and you, you don't understand the data at a high level, you might think that today it looks just like 2006. So in, in 2006, we were seeing a very tight inventory um, a lot of appreciation, um, just a, a lot of things that look like today. But I, I think there's also some really important differences 
that we're seeing today that we didn't see in 2006? And uh, maybe we can start to touch on a couple of those. So one of the things that I think is most important is lending practices. So if you go back to 2006, lending practices were very loose. We had a lot of um, buyers that were buying with 0% down. They were getting um, an 80% first and a 20% second. So they were essentially 100% financing. They had no money in the game at all. And, um, and so they didn't have any, what we would call skin in the game, right? And so when there was a tiny dip in that market, it was pretty easy for those buyers to walk away from that property. And I, and uh, during the great recession through, let's say from 2008 to 2012, those lending practices really tightened up. And what we see today is, um, yes, buyers are paying top dollar for those houses, but they're also a lot of them are putting 20% down. They're offering cash over appraised value. They have a lot of skin in the game. Okay. So what I hear you saying is, the biggest difference right now is that buyers have skin in the game, less likely to walk away. And in 2008 and nine, I think one of the biggest problems is that buyers gave up too easily and walked away because they had, like you said, no skin in the game. And then that caused it to spin out of control. That, then that was just more foreclosures. But that, that is... And, and that's true. Most, you know, if, if you get a listing and it goes out there on the market and you're lucky, you get five, six, seven offers on it, all of them with pre-approval letters. But it's the winner is usually the safest loan, which is the most money down. So if somebody has 5% down, another offer has 20% down, and the offers are very similar, more than likely the seller's going to go with that 20. Yeah, I think that's 100% true. At least 80% true. At least oh, 80%. Excuse the, uh-huh. the fancy mathematics there. I think the other important factor that we've got going on um, right now, uh, um, I'm going to say in this current environment versus what we saw maybe 15 years ago, was I think in 2006, our, um, our supply of properties, our, just our general housing inventory was uh, pretty close to what our population needed. And when you, uh, so this is probably three-year-old data now, but the California Association of Realtors did an analysis of how many homes do we need to have just in the state of California for our population. And at that point, they estimated that we were 3.5 million homes short of our population. And at that time, they suggested that we needed to build 500,000 homes a year for the next 10 years to catch up with our population. And I think this year we're anticipated to build 150,000 new homes. So we're clearly not keeping pace with that. I don't know what the current number is, but let's just call it 3.5 million. We have a massive inventory shortage in the state of California. 
Whereas in 2006, we were pretty flush. And so I think that shortage is going to really have a great deal of impact on preventing a collapse of the market that we saw in, um, in the earlier part of this decade. Because supply and demand is out of balance and in favor of the seller where prices will hold up. And because they also have a large down payment in there, they got skin in the game, who's going to walk away? Right. I don't think they will. Yeah. Let me add another thing in there because I still remember this. Um, is in 2006-7, a lot of of building going on. Uh, But we still had not enough homes. But then what happened is the lenders got smart and said, hey, we can't do those 100% financing uh, and no documentation loans. So they put, they over-tightened the water spigot and made lending too difficult which made lenders, or excuse me, which made builders say, whoa, you know, I, I'm going to quit building so much because it's too difficult to, for our buyers to get a loan. So really between 2007 and 2012, there wasn't a whole lot of building going on. And um, that kind of initiated that shortage that you're talking about. Uh, you, you know, and now it's other things like, uh, local and state regulations on building um, additions to buildings such as requiring uh, water sprinklers inside for fire reasons uh, requiring solar that's adding 10 percent to the cost of building a entry-level home right there yeah and I think it probably um, so what we saw in, let's say, in the recession. So let's say from 2007 through 2012, we saw, depending on the area of Fresno that you were looking at, somewhere between a 25 and 50% reduction in resale value. And so I think for a lot of the new home builders, regardless of financing, which I think was also a factor in that, they just, they couldn't, build a house and sell it um, and make money. Like the, co- the cost of new construction was going up at the same time, right? And we've seen that even more so in recent years with the cost of materials going up. But there was, a, there was I think, probably longer, Don, I think it was probably 2000. I mean, it's probably only been in the last two or three years that we've seen the new construction market really start to pick back up. So if you think from 2007 to really 2019, 2020, I mean, we were talking a a solid 15 years where the new construction market was just almost completely shut down. Yeah. Then you add in 2020, there was all the COVID restrictions, which made it difficult to build. 2021, we had the supply chain issues. So builders have had a tough go. Yeah, which is all, you know, factored in with the fact that the population just generally increases, right? People are um, graduating from college, starting families, whatever the case may be. There's an always an increasing demand for home ownership, and you've got to build houses to fill that demand. Yeah, and, and even though people say, oh, but so many people are moving out of California, 
there's so many people moving into California too. And then there's just your natural growth. So hang on to those thoughts because we're going to our next commercial break. But when we get back, I want to ask Patrick, why should somebody buy now? And then I'm, then I'm going to say, why should someone sell now? So stay tuned. Thank you. Well, welcome back to Welcome Home Radio. This is Don Scordino, your host. And here in the studio with us, we have Patrick Prince, a realtor with Keller Williams Fresno. And uh, been doing, been in the real estate industry for over 20 years. Uh, had the role of a MLS operations manager for our association for years. But the last, what is it, 15 years? Yeah. You, you've been out there working buyers and sellers and uh, helping families make decisions. So making decisions is, that that's a big, a key right now. Because we hear so much on the news. We hear so much or read so much um, in the media. And worse yet, so much on social media. Um, So I'm glad you're here. And I know you've done a lot of numbers and you're well prepared for this. Um, But give us some real facts, some real stats. And I think you did something on purchasing power there. So tell us why a buyer should buy today. Yeah, I think the interesting thing, and I and I appreciate the public's concern about rising prices of homes. It, it's a real thing. In the last uh, 12 months, we've seen almost a 20% increase in the median price of homes in Fresno County. That's, that's real. And as we talked about in the first segment, I think there's some real supporting evidence that we will not see a major collapse in pricing in the foreseeable future. And I don't know what that means. I'm not, if I had a crystal ball, I would be rich and not um, a realtor, right? Um, (laughs) Hey, I thought realtors were all rich. Yeah, for sure. All of us are rich. Uh, (laughs) but, um, But that's not the case, right? We all are trying to make some predictions uh, based on the information that we have available. But, um, but, but a double-digit inflation in home prices is a real thing. But I think the, maybe the more important thing to look at here is interest rates on your 30-year fixed mortgage, which most buyers are getting a 30-year fixed-rate mortgage, which means for the entire time that they own the home, unless they sell or refinance, they're going to be locked in at that interest rate. And here's some interesting facts. So about a year ago, and I use um, freddiemac.com as kind of my, not what are you, what interest rate are you going to get? But if you're looking for trends over time, it's a really great website to see what have interest rates done historically. And in the last 12 months, the average 30 year mortgage has gone up from approximately 3% to approximately 5%. So a 2% increase in the 30-year fixed rate mortgage. And so what I was playing with is some numbers there is, let's assume that a home buyer can afford a $1,500 a month house payment. So a year ago, they could afford a mortgage of approximately $355,000. 
today at an average interest rate of 5%, they can afford 280000 That's a big difference. And so at the same time that you have prices increasing, maybe more importantly, you have interest rates increasing, which is reducing the buying power of that borrower. And the feds have indicated that they're going to raise the rate a couple more times before the end of the year, two, three, four times between now and the end of the year. So I think securing those lower interest rates that we have today, relatively speaking, is really to the advantage of the buyer because if they plan on staying in the house for three, five, seven years and interest rates continue to increase, which it looks like they will, probably inflation is coming, they've really done themselves a favor by locking in that lower interest rate and locking in their monthly payment that hedges against inflation, that hedges against rising cost of rental properties for uh, rental owner um, rentals, for example. I think it's really the right time. Mm-hmm. And, and I think it's important that we remember you're not just buying a price and buying four walls, but you're buying security. And how valuable is that? I mean, to know that in 15 years, 25 years, you know what your pay, housing payment is going to be. So you're buying security, but you're also buying something that you can put your love and pride into. I had a wonderful experience a couple weeks ago where, uh, unfortunately, the seller has to sell the home for health reasons and move out of state. She has put so much love and so much of herself into that home. She said, I want you to know, Don, this home will always have me in it because, you know, I love it so much. So how, how do you put a price tag on something like that? No, for sure. And I, and I think, um, I think we've been in a low interest rate environment for so long years. We've been, let's call it 3% that people freak out when they hear five, but the average interest rate in the last 50 years is 8%. So the fact that we're coming up to something that looks like normal, and I think that's what most people are most worried about. They don't really care what they paid for the house. They care what their monthly payment is. And when they can lock that in and have that security of knowing this is my house payment for as long as I choose to stay in this home and I can keep loving on it and feeling secure in that price for as long as I choose to stay here, I think that's super valuable. Yeah, yeah, it, it certainly is. And I have a question about interest rates. I heard somebody say that as rates stayed so low in the threes that they were artificially held down by the feds to help the economy out. It, do you believe that, that it was artificially held down? And now that they're lifting their locks on it, that it's going back to normal. Yeah, so there's certainly some truth to that. The um, a lot a lot of times you'll hear them say that um, the Fed rate, so the rate at which banks loan money to each other, and they, that's how they borrow money. It's not a direct correlation to mortgage interest rates, and yet. Ultimately, they tend to trend with each other. And so, yes, I think as we move from now into a period of prob probable inflation, 
the feds will use interest rates, though the Fed rate, they will raise that rate in order to curb inflation. And naturally, the mortgage interest rate will will want to trend with that. So, yes, I do think that it has been held down, um, which was outstanding for our buyers in the last couple of years. Um, and probably we're going to start to lose some of that advantage over the next 6, 12, 18, 24 months. And I know our longtime listeners have heard me say this one before, but my college professor in real estate finance showed us some big mathematical calculation as to why interest rates would never drop below 12% again. And this is back when they were at 14, 15%. So, um, of course, the, the rebuttal to that is, yeah, but prices weren't where they are today either. Uh, so, but my point is that you go back 30, 40 years, things were, you know, the, the prices were lower, but the interest rates were much higher. Now the prices are higher, but the interest rates are lower, uh, but it's not proportionate. It, it, the cost of housing is not a whole lot different than it was back then. Um, it's still about thir- 25 to 35 percent of somebody's take-home pay. Uh, that that seems to be it. Okay, so you're saying people should buy now because to take advantage of those low interest rates, even though they're at five now, it's still low and it's fixed. Yeah, so, I mean, I, Don, I bought my first house in um, 1999 or early 2000. I'm probably I'm a realtor. I should probably know exactly when I bought it, but I, I was super excited that I got 7.75%. And I'm a little younger in the industry than you are, and I know that you've saw, seen interest rates in the high teens, um, but I was super excited that I was below eight. And I, I, I mean, are we going to go back there again? Maybe. Yeah. The only difference between me and you age-wise is I don't panic about anything anymore. <laughs> I've seen it all. <laughs> um, yeah, uh, uh, I even got into the lending business for a while and interest rates were at 17 crazy yeah uh, but hey uh, things are good now and so how about how do, uh, how about why should somebody sell right now i think selling is an interesting question so one of my personal um, feelings on this is that if you if you're going to sell and purchase, so let's say you're up, going to go to a bigger house or you're going to downsize, I don't think prices really matter very much, right? If you're selling now and you and you need to have a place to live, right? You're selling your primary residence and you're going to purchase something else to live in, whether you need to go up, family's growing in size, for example, you're downsizing, you're an empty nester, whatever, whatever the situation might be you know, you're really exchanging property in the same market. Um, I think that's why we're seeing some people, I think, move out of state is because maybe California prices are are super high and there's other places in the country that might be more affordable. So they're able to bank some equity. Um, But 
interest rates become the most important thing. If you're upsizing or downsizing and you can lock in a lower interest rate, that affects your monthly house payment for the entire time that you own the property. Mm -hmm. All right. Excellent. When we get back from our next commercial break, I'm going to ask you, how does a client pull off a sell and purchase at the same time? uh, Yeah, tough one for you, Patrick. So stay tuned to Welcome Home Radio. I'm proud of the house we built. It's stronger than sticks, stones, and steel. It's not a big place sitting up high on some hill. Well, welcome back to Welcome Home Radio. This is Don Scordino, your host. And here in the studio, we have Patrick Prince, realtor extraordinaire with Keller Williams. Um, where did that extraordinaire come in? Did, I think your son told me to put that in. There. Yeah, he probably did. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Um, anyway, we've been talking about why it's a good time to buy. Uh, how about how good is it to sell but here's my eventual question how about somebody that wants to sell and buy they they have that starter home that they bought a few years ago they got equity now um now's a time where they can make a move but it seems difficult to do it uh concurrently so what let's just get right into that one how how do you sell and buy concurrently yeah so every market Um, And we can touch on this a little bit more if you want to. Um, But every market is either a seller's market. Man, not always. I guess it's generally either a seller's market or a buyer's market, right? I mean, we hope for a neutral market. That would be most ideal. Um, And certainly we are today in a seller's market. The market is favoring the seller. So I think getting your home sold is super easy. But... Getting your offer accepted on the purchase is a little bit harder. And so I think this is where you've really got to work with your local realtor to make sure that you're creating some strategy around that. And I think, um, for example, my probably my recommendation today would be for a seller to really pre-stage their house, get it 100% ready to go on the market get their pictures taken, get their listing contracts signed and be ready to put that thing on the market like tomorrow so that when they're writing offers and they need the equity from the sale of their current property in order to close the transaction on their purchase, they can let the seller of that purchase know, hey, I'm ready to go. I've got the marketing photos done. I'm ready to turn the switch on tomorrow. And so please accept my offer because I can have my home sold in 72 hours. Don, what are your okay. thoughts on that? Okay. Well, I have a question for you first, it, yeah. it, but I will answer it because I've put a lot of thought into that. But you said it was super easy to sell a home. So why does a seller have to get it 100% ready? Well, because that buyer is probably looking at a lot of offers. I, a lot may might depend on how that seller has their house priced, but in this market, we're seeing sellers entertaining three to 15 offers. And so if they've got one buyer that's 100% ready, cash in hand, ready to close that deal, 
and they're considering your offer, uh, which is contingent on the sale of your property, you're just less attractive, right? So it's just, they've got so many choices to choose from in which offer they accept that you want to have the best chance of your offer being the best one. Okay. I got you there. Now you asked me my thoughts on that. Kind of a funny story, but a few months ago, my um, cousin called me from the state of Washington and said, well, we're going to be moving about a hundred miles north of where we're at. Uh, so we need to sell and buy. And I was giving them some advice and not that I know the market up there, but I know general real estate practice and strategies. And I said, it's going to be almost impossible to do a concurrent. And that kind of threw him off there because he was thinking he could do them both at the same time. Well, you know, so we talked about it and he came up with another strategy then rather than doing them concurrently at uh, selling and buying at the same time. As soon as that was done, I get an offer on one of my listings and it's contingent on the sale of another property. And then I got another one on another property and I'm starting to see that a little bit more the last couple of months. Uh, I feel like I better call my cousin and say, Hey, it, the, the wind might be shifting. Maybe you can do that, but it is still very difficult. And if selling and buying concurrently, meaning you're going to close escrow on the same day and make, make a move all in that same weekend, um, you better have a plan B because plan A will not always work out. And plan B might be the Holiday Inn Express. No, for sure. And I think the market is so in favor of the sellers that I'm also seeing some sellers who are able to negotiate with the buyer that they're going to stay in the property for a week after the close of escrow, right? So there's a little bit of a we don't like to use the word rent back, but rent back, right? Mm-hmm. Um, where the seller can stay in possession of the property for a days or a week or two while they get that other escrow closed up. So I think the seller's got some room to negotiate on that and, um, and then also then be more aggressive on the purchase side. Yeah, yeah, that's true. So it, yeah. It, and plan B is always critical. Yeah. <laughs> it, and I've given that example for years about plan B being the Holiday Inn Express. You'd be amazed. I'm going to say four out of five clients that I tell that to say, oh, well, no, we we have one. We can stay with the in-laws or we can, you know, we have somewhere to go. So that plan B is very doable. But there's nothing more motivating for a client than staying in the in-laws house. Yeah. (laughs) They're going to be ready to buy right now. Yeah. And that's a great way to get a a extra down payment out of your in-laws too. (laughs) Here's an extra 30,000. Get out. Uh (laughs) Uh, And then you never know what happens. I remember one client where uh, they had been living in the home for over 10 years. So they were, they had stuff everywhere. All right. We get an offer. The buyer needed to move in 15, move in in 15 days. And that's the offer was for a 15 day escrow cash and, uh, uh, and to move in right, right away. 
And I, I'm thinking, no way is a seller going to take this. I mean, how are they going to move in that amount of time? I loved what that seller said. He goes, I'm going to counter offer for another $5,000. And if they take it, I'll make it work. I'll move mountains. They countered for another 5000 The buyer said fine. And it all worked out. Hey, you know, the cost of uh, one of those uh, moving pods and Holiday Inn for 14 days is... Uh yeah, might not be that much money in the grand scheme of um, what houses are selling for these days. Yeah. And, you know, it's a nice time to take a vacation, too. That's right. Maybe you wanted to go to Florida to see family or something. Uh -huh. Now's a good time. So. All right. So that um, it, what we're saying is that, uh, it's common enough to do a contingency of purchase contract that the California Association of Realtors actually came up with a form that uh, where you can use check boxes to go over all the different scenarios and what happens. Um, so that that's really good. Now, I want to move on to the next thing, and this is kind of going back to how do we read the market? So there's a statistic out there that I used to think back in the back in the olden days, like two years ago, I used to think that days on the market is a meaningless thing, you know, because, hey, they may have changed the price last week. They, but, but now days on the market, people are zoning in on that. How do you accurately read days on the market? Yeah, so there's always some error in days on the market, right? There's always that one house that's overpriced by 10% that's going to sit and sit and sit. But as a general trend, we use it to determine whether we're in a seller's market, a buyer's market, or if we're kind of in that neutral territory. So um, cur currently the Fresno market is sitting at about three weeks of inventory, right? So kind of in that 18 to 22 days on the market um, area. And what that means is based on how many homes we're selling a month, and how many homes we have on the market today, theoretically, if no new homes came on the market, how long would it just take us to sell out everything that we have on the market? Theoretically, right? We're sitting at about three weeks. A neutral market is considered when we have approximately, depending on who you ask, three to six months of inventory. So right now we're selling about, um, we're sit selling about uh, 800 houses a month. So we should should probably have 2,000 homes on the market right now. And we have 500. That's a good way to put it. Yeah. So that's what tells us that we're really in a strong seller's market, right? Is that we just, the buyer demand is exceeding the seller inventory, right? And so... And just to put that in perspective, in 2007, eight, when the market was really in a recession, we had two years of inventory. Mm -hmm. And so that supply is really short of our demand at this, at this time. So, and I'm sure you've had this too, where you're showing a home to a buyer, you're there at the door and they go, hey, Patrick, how many days on the market has this been? You look it up and you go, it's been 10 days. Oh, I wonder what's wrong with the house. <laughs> yeah, for sure. 
And that's what we see often at times in this uh, crazy market that we're in right now, right? If a home is priced right for its condition, it's probably sold in seven days. From the time it hits the market to the time it's in contract is probably seven. And so, yeah, if it's been two weeks on the market, it starts to look weird, right? Mm-hmm. And yet in a more normal or a balanced market, uh, a home might normally sit on the market for a month. You know, back in the olden days before you got into it, I remember three to four months was normal for a house to sell to get one offer. It, 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 that's what it took. Yeah. So, um, yeah. And right now, if a seller doesn't have five offers in the first seven days, they're upset. I did. I had a seller last year uh, upset that they only had two offers and it, it, it sold for a thousand dollars less than the asking price at the 600,000 price point. And it's like, we gave it away. I know. And, and I think that's a really interesting, maybe kind of psychological issue that's going on right now is sellers really think that they can price their home for anything. Right. And so listing your house at the right price is still important right? It's higher than it was a month ago. It's certainly higher than it was six months ago. And yet pricing your home right is still critical. So be sure and work with your local realtor to understand what homes have sold for recently and price it to sell. You can't, you can't ask 20% over last month's comps and expect to get it. You want to get that home sold. You want to get it in contract in this market probably really wanted to have multiple offers in the first five days, seven days. Uh, Cause you do not want your house to sit on the market for a long period of time, especially in this market where buyers are expecting it to be gone in a week. So here's something I've seen sellers do. They, they get the temptation that maybe um, there was a home listed at 495 that sold for 520. So instead of and it just closed recently, so it's a really good comp. So instead of listing it at 495 also, they want to start at 520 or above. Or 550. Yeah, right. Yeah. And then they damage themselves in that process. Right. So you can't forget those comps that you use. You can't forget what their starting point was, not just their ending point. So with that, we are going to our next commercial break, but stay tuned to Welcome Home Radio, 940 KYNO. Well, welcome back to Welcome Home Radio. This is Don Scordino, your host. And here in the studio is Patrick Prince of Keller Williams Real Estate here in Fresno. And uh, Patrick is also very involved uh, with the with organized real estate and I'm going to describe define organized real estate as the Association of Realtors the Fresno Association at the state level there is the California Association of Realtors and then also National Association in fact you served on a committee where you actually got to go back to Washington DC and make a pitch to who who was it was it to Joe Biden or was it to a Congress person? Yeah, Congress. So yeah. I served as the chair of the federal committee for the California Association of Realtors. 
So any issues that California realtors were having that needed to be legislated at the federal level, we went back to Washington, D.C. and talked to all of the congressmen that serve California in the U.S. Congress and um, pleaded our case, whether it was in support of some legislation or in opposition of legislation, et cetera, um, to make sure. Uh, you know, interesting, Don, I, I sometimes I hear Association of Realtors or I think maybe the public hears Association of Realtors and there's an assumption maybe that um, we're often fighting for re- realtors you know, or maybe it's to support our independent contractor status, or I don't know what, <laughs> I don't know whatever realtors need, but bigger commissions. Yeah. Commissions. <laughs> and that's just, um, not, that's just 90% not true. The majority of the work that we do in the state legislature and in the, um, at the federal level is actually in support of private property rights and home ownership. So if you think about that from a national level, I'm sure, that the vast majority, all maybe, arguably, the um, all homeowners appreciate, for example, the ability to deduct their mortgage interest from their tax return, mm-hmm. mortgage interest deduction, MID is what we call it in the industry. And um, that's under constant attack. And so almost every year, every two, three years, we have to go back in and defend homeowners' ability to deduct their mortgage interest deduction. Uh, from their tax return. So a lot of those private property rights issues are what we end up fighting at the state and federal level. In your opinion, if the National Association of Realtors and California Association wasn't there on behalf of the consumer to protect mortgage interest deduction, do you think it would still be here? No, 100% it'd be gone. So uh, we we are, um, and I'm proud to say this, we are the voice of um of homeowners in at the state and local state and federal level we we are the voice right so uh you'll you'll often find for example that um groups of renters have um people vying for their rights and we're we're fighting for the for the property owner whether you're owner occupied or um an investor don like yourself um, we're the ones that are fighting for those private property owner rights at the local, state, and federal level. Mm-hmm. All right. And what I, I remember going into a congressman's office a few, well, this is during the recession, and to show you how impactful that is, this guy had a, well, I'm going to even say who it was. It was Devin Nunes. We walked in there. He said, hi, how you guys doing? Let's get to work. He got his yellow notepad out and a pen, and he goes, how do we fix this? He did, in other words, he was all ears, um, as anybody should have been. Um, and I think we were the right group to ask, not that we're going to have the 100% best answer, but we're probably going to have a pretty darn good answer because we're there with the consumer, buyers and sellers on the streets. We're the ones experiencing um, any problems that that were in the industry. And um, so I'm sure that it made some impact there, our our little visit there. Yeah, one of the one of the things that I think really gives us some power 
Uh, two things I think that really give us some power with the legislature. Um, one, that we're just a large organization. Uh, we kind of seem to bounce around, we're, but we're in the top three largest trade associations in the state and I think at the federal level, right? We're usually in that kind of top three tier as far as number of members and um, kind of political clout. But um, I think the thing that really helps us stand apart is that we're bipartisan or nonpartisan, right? We don't we don't side with the left or the right. We're not Republican or Democrat or independent. We're really the realtor party. We're pro-housing. We're pro-housing, and that's it. We, every time that we go into one of those legislature's offices, we are just about the American dream of home ownership, and that really brings a lot of um, credibility with us because we're not fighting those party politics typically. Right. I mean, maybe they get a little bit kind of mucked up in the works, but um, we're so pro home ownership and it shows. Yeah. And I know when we go talk to them, we have to talk about housing because that's what we know. We can't talk about the gray whale or or or, uh, we can't. We got to stay in our lane. And that's what helps keep us relevant. I, I think the Congress people know that. Okay, they're here to talk about housing. They are the experts on it because they work on the streets with it every day. Yeah, and I think um, I, a lot of issues come to those organizations, right? Whether it's the California or the National Association of Realtors, a lot of issues come before the board of directors or before the committee that they represent. Um, and a lot of those issues just get voted down right from our organization standpoint right are we going to support or oppose a particular position but a lot of those issues just become non-real estate related and we don't take any issue with them at all so we don't get involved in all those other politics we just get involved in things that affect home ownership housing private property rights and that's it yeah i i read one um a few weeks ago uh, and it had something to do with voting and that's exactly how we looked at it. It's not real estate related. We may have had personal opinions on that, but we, we have to stick to housing. Okay, other than political advocacy, what else does organized real estate or the Association of Realtors do for its members that will impact the consumer? Well, I mean, I think all of those things do affect the consumer, right? I mean, those, so many of those advocacy issues are really in favor of the consumer straight, straight up, right? Whether it's, um, you know, and I know you've talked, Don, on past episodes about, for example, the long-term negative effects, short-term gain, but long-term negative effects of rent control, for example, right? It's protecting that um, that investor that's uh, got their retirement equity built up, right? They all have an effect uh, protecting mortgage interest deduction, right? Those all affect the consumer. So, yeah, all right. I think eighty or ninety percent of the work that we do is consumer driven. All right, you know, we just have a couple of minutes left, so I, I want to ask you what do you want our listeners to remember most about today's discussion? 
I think um, I think keep an eye on keep an eye on interest rates. I mean, if I had one, probably right now in the second quarter of 2022, I'd say pay pay attention to your interest rates. It's going to affect your buying power, maybe more so than prices are. And remember that your local realtor is really your best source of information. And um, it's pretty easy to get caught up in the news cycle. And yeah, pr- uh, housing prices are increasing, um, but you're buying this for a long-term investment, right? It's where you're going to raise your family. And um, look, All right. look at your historical data and, and understand that this is a good time. And you'd get that through your realtor. So that's, that's good. So what is your best real estate advice? Oh. Best real estate advice. Whew. You caught me on that one, Don. Well, come on. 20 years in the industry. Go, go. Hey, the How best- about you, you could always default to this one, and that is tune in every Saturday to Welcome, Welcome Home, Home Radio, Radio. <laughs> from 9 to 10 a.m. Okay, I bailed you out, Patrick. Uh, and with that, our show is over. Patrick, you owe me big time now. Thank so- you, Don. I appreciate you bailing me out. All right. Thank you to all our listeners for tuning in, and we'll be back again next week. Thank you very much. Bye-bye.